This morning, as we work through the book of Romans, we're in Romans chapter 12, 17 to 21, and we're talking about overcoming evil with good. And we see in Christ an example of how he, in his endurance of all these things, overcomes evil with goodness. Not only is he our example, but he is the source of that same life, the hope to be like Jesus. We're in Romans 12, 17 to 21, where we read this. Paul says, God says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, with everyone. Beloved, brothers and sisters, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil. But overcome evil with good. Pray with me. Our Father, we have gathered this morning to hear from you, to be with you, to love you, to know you. And even now as we turn our hearts to your word, we know that it is your word. And we long for you to speak it afresh and to speak it with power to our hearts and our minds. Will you open our hearts and soften our hearts that we may receive the seed, the good seed of your word, that it may take root in our hearts and change us and make us more like Jesus. That we would be agents of righteousness and of light and of goodness in the midst of an evil world. For we ask and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul has been giving us a flurry of commands. We we have noticed how in chapters 1 to 11 of Romans there are virtually no commands. It is all what we say the indicative. He is presenting truth. He is saying this is what it is. And so we get 11 chapters of doctrine, so to speak. And in chapter 12 then, we get a flurry of commands. He begins to make those, uh, those demands, speaking God's word to call us out, and that's what he's doing. There's the danger here to hear these commands simply as rules and another law, so to speak, but really what Paul is doing after giving all those chapters of indicative truth, of doctrine and theology, of who who we are, what Christ has done, and how he has saved us, and what he is calling us into, and now Paul is calling out, calling forth the new people that are in Christ. He's calling us out of darkness into light. We remember in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says that He has delivered us out of the domain of darkness. And He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. It's an already. It's already done. Right? It's one of those indicative. It's already, but it's not quite yet. But it's already He has delivered us from the domain that is the power, the rule of darkness. He has already transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, into the kingdom of Light. Now it's not fully come and 
realize. A day will come when the knowledge and the righteousness and the kingdom of Christ will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That day is not yet. But there is a foothold of the kingdom in your soul, in your life. And as we gather in, in the life of this community, there is a, a beachhead of the kingdom of God that, is, that has come. We have been transferred. And this is why Jesus taught us to pray for his kingdom to come. Right? Teach us, teach us to pray, Jesus. Pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And the first place you and I should be praying for it to come, longing for it to come, desiring passionately for it to come is in our own soul. For his will to be done by us in our lives. That we would be those who are the citizens and the representatives of his kingdom the kingdom into which we've already been transferred, and he's calling us out as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as those who already belong to him. That he would reign in our hearts, that his will become our will, that our will would become his will. Paul is speaking to born-again Christians who have already been created or recreated in Christ to be like Him in true righteousness and holiness. And so he calls this out of us. He says it's who you are. Be who you are. And he calls it out by laying out these commands which, are, which come to us as a call to be something different. We are those who stand, as he said in chapter, chapter 12, verse 1, at the beginning of all this, who stand in the mercies of God, who are offering ourselves as living sacrifices to him, who are being renewed and transformed in, in our minds and in our hearts, according to this word and this word that we're talking about this morning. Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 8, at one time you were in darkness, but he has delivered you from the domain of darkness. And now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. That is the call. That's what this passage is, is calling out of us. Rather than just being a list of rules, it is, the, it is a call on the citizens of the kingdom to live as children of the light, citizens in the kingdom of light. And so in verse 17, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one. No one is the word that's emphasized. In, in the Greek, they want to take the word that's emphasized. They can play with word order. Uh, we, we're in English, we're much more structured in, in where a word falls in the sentence in terms of its place. And they can move words around. And the form of the word tells you where it fits. But the sentence begins with the word no one. No one repay evil for evil. No one, right? Not, not Christian, not non-Christian in this milieu of our time, and we start thinking about no one as Christian or non-Christian. Those who are, believe in pro-abortion and those who are pro-life. Those who are Republican and those who are Democrat. Repay no one evil for evil. No one. We all experience hurt and disappointment and disrespect, and rudeness, and anger, and you make the list, ways that we are mistreated, ways that we feel wronged, betrayed, 
Maybe not quite like Jesus spit upon, but sometimes people spit on us with their words. And he says, never respond in kind. If evil has been spit on you, washed up on you, thrown on you, come against you, don't respond in kind. Don't respond to this evil with evil. Walk as children of the light. Do not walk in darkness. First Thessalonians, Paul repeats this command where he says it, see that no one repays anyone. So like none of you, anyone else, right? Let, let no one repay anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Right? That's here in this room, that's here in this community, that's here in, in this family, even here in the church, who are already in the kingdom of light, but not quite yet, all the way there yet. My new person in Christ needs to be called out because I still stumble, sin, we're a church full of sinners, we will hurt each other, we will disappoint each other. There are times when you will feel mistreated, even within the church. And so he says, never repay evil for evil, but always seeking to do good to one another. Even when you've received what in your perception is evil. And he says, and then to everyone, not just in the church, but everyone. In other words, goodness and light are what should always shine out of the children of light. Citizens of that kingdom where light and goodness in Christ reign should always be that which flows from us. No matter what the circumstance is, we'll have some exception that we will say justifies my bad behavior, my bad attitude, my bad treatment of someone, my bad words, my bad hard thoughts of someone we we always, and he says, no matter what else someone else does, no matter what other evil others may do. Now let me give a quick caveat. We live in a, in a day where we, probably every day, we need to be able to make this caveat. And the caveat is this, that no one needs to endure a truly abusive situation. Right? You, you are not to retaliate and to re, re, reward evil with evil, repay evil with evil, but... You should follow all the right and legal avenues to be delivered from such a situation, an abusive situation, particularly if there is sexual or physical abuse. The police are a proper authority. You should contact them immediately. And if, if you want help, there are those, whether elders and a pastor would love to help you in a situation like that, or where there is emotional or verbal abuse, do not, re, do not repay it. But talk to an elder, because it's not acceptable. Just to say that we don't, we, the authority doesn't abide in us to repay it, doesn't mean there's not authority that does have authority over such things. And that, as we move into the very next section in chapter 13, is about the establishment of authorities by God to handle these things. And so I would encourage you not to endure such a situation, but to talk to your elder, to talk to your pastor. 
But in the normal conditions of life, in the church, in the home, in your work, in your school, wherever your, your environment is, resist evil. Don't be part of it. Don't join it. Don't entertain it. This is hard. How, how often, I was, if I'm writing this sermon this week, I've spent a lot of time in personal conviction and repentance. Because how hard is it? How natural is it to respond in kind? Right? That when, when my lovely wife says something that, and I shouldn't even do this, so some other person says something that I perceive as less than, you know, I deserve. Right? How easy it to respond in a way, right? And, or when that tone of voice goes here, and so does my tone of voice. Or that attitude goes here, so my attitude goes here. Where we, how easy and natural it is to respond like a mirror to the thing that we're dealing with. It, it is so normal in some ways that our emotions and our attitudes and our actions are often determined by what we're experiencing from other people. In some ways, the gravity of our fallen nature, that is what comes outside of the Spirit most naturally to us. Their attitude, how they treat us, what they say and do, their tone of voice elicits something from us. And God says, no. If you talk to me like that, I'll talk to you like this. If you ignore me, if you hurt my feelings, if you show me your anger, there's a cycle of sin here, isn't there? Where it feeds on itself. You show me sin, well, I give you sin back. And then there is a, you know, that's not going to go well, is it? And there's a cycle of sin that feeds on itself. And if we're part of it, then that cycle carries on. Evil feeds on itself when we sin against and we adopt that same sinful attitude. The cycle goes on. And it's tragic how much of our thinking and feeling and behaving is controlled by e the evil that is in other people. Determining what goes on in my soul instead of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 15.1 which I've quoted so many times in my life, that the soft answer turns away wrath. Where there's already wrath, that's what you're experiencing, that's what you're getting, that, that is what is in your face. And what does the scripture say that a soft answer turns it away? Changes the atmosphere. It diffuses, it, it disarms, it softens. It's the right thing. It's the gracious thing. It's the Christ-like thing who in the face of the wrath of both his own Jewish community and the Roman Empire reviled not. Responded not in the same way. Paul is putting a practical edge on brotherly love which is part of what we've been talking through in this whole section leading up. He turns to the life of the church. It's amazing to me how much of the teaching and the commands in the New Testament that come from Jesus and particularly Paul and the New Testament writers address the Christian community and call us to love and to live out the graces and to be the people that he is making us to be. be 
And the, and the reason is because as you read those same letters, you read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and you read Galatians and you see what's going on in the church. It is that place where we're all ready and not yet. Where God is doing something and yet we're all struggling. And we're all not quite there yet. And iron sharpens, the Lord will and iron will sharpen iron. And not become a cycle of something. That is not pleasing. My friends, when brothers and sisters offend us and hurt us, right, the fruit of the Spirit, how often does it say bear with one another, forgive one another? To respond with grace. Instead of imitating evil, we're to do the right thing, right, the God thing, the grace thing. To save, in a sense, to save each other. When you're failing, I can be the one, by God's grace, to bear the fruit of the Spirit and save us, so to speak, to save the community, right? As God graces us, as we all pursue that maturity in Christ, walking in the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, being more like Jesus. That's why in 1 Peter 4.8, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. He's got, like, it's a command. Like, he has to keep telling you to do it. No, keep loving each other, right? That one you're having trouble with, that one that hurts you, the one that felt like they betrayed you or offended you or ignored you or whatever. No, keep loving one another. Love that one. Why, he says, because love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't excuse sin. It doesn't justify sin. But there are many ways and many things that we let die as we forgive. Christ bore the penalty of that sin. And there's a day of justice, and we'll talk about that. It is coming. But that we can allow love to drive us to cover sin and earnestly love one another in the face of our failures. This same grace is a witness, not only within this community, but it's a witness to the world of, of another kingdom. It's the witness to the world of another source of life and grace and light and health. Which is why in verse 17 he goes on to say that, that you are to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Even those who don't know Christ. Maybe especially before those who don't know Christ. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It is interesting that that quote is at the end of the Beatitudes. And the last of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are you when people persecute you and revile you and say all kinds of evil against you. Blessed are you. But you're to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And let your, your good works, and the good works there isn't necessarily feeding the poor. That's a good work. But good works is not repaying evil with evil. But returning wrath with a soft answer and grace. Is loving people who don't deserve it and haven't earned it. Is, is, is being light in darkness. That others would see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling and disputing. What a church it would be 
right? What a world it would be, what a family it would be, but what a church it would be if we did all things you know, without grumbling and disputing. That you, that you, beloved, would be the blameless and innocent children of God, right? Without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. What an amazing calling. Right? He's calling us out of darkness, out of the dominion of darkness and sin, that into the, the kingdom of light where we are more like Jesus. And so in verse 18 he says, as far as it is possible, right, if possible, so far as it depends on you, you're responsible for you, you're not responsible for your spouse. You're not responsible for your children. You're not responsible for your workmates. You're not responsible for the other people at church. You're responsible for you. And as, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it is in your power, pursue it. By following all these commands, these calls out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light that as it's possible, it's in your power. And my friends, how often it is in your power to make peace. It's not always possible. The other party sometimes refuses. They're not ready yet. Their heart is hard. They refuse the path of peace. There are many times I have sought peace. It's happened a number of times where I've asked, well, let's sit down with a third party. Let's, let's work through it. Let's hear each other. Give me the chance to repent. Give me the chance to, to hear. Give me the chance to tell you. Let, if it takes a third party, let's do it. And months, weeks, months, years. Years. But, but I made known that I want to follow what Jesus has outlined as the path of peace. To sit down and to find help if we need it and to make peace. And as far as it depends on me, there are times I've just had to say, you just need to know I'm ready when you are. I'm ready when you are. Paul takes a further step to say in verses 19 and 20, Beloved, children of God, children of the light, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, brothers, sisters, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Because God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you should feed him. If he's thirsty, you should give him something to drink because by doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Never, in verse 17, never repay. In verse 19, never take revenge. And revenge, the word there is a word that is often translated in other contexts. It's the word to punish. Never punish. It's not your job to punish other people. Sometimes I'm, I'm amazed at strangers who feel like it's their job to correct and to punish people. Why? Why should we never take revenge or punish? 
And the answer is not because punishment isn't the right thing or that punishment is wrong. To punish evil is the right thing to do. It's called justice. God is a God of justice and righteousness. It's the right thing to do. Justice demands it, right? But it's what he's saying, not our place. It's not our job, and we need to stay in our lane. He says this is his lane. That's his job. That is his right and authority, not yours as an individual. God says, verse 19, I will repay. It's interesting, he uses the same two words. The word in verse 17 where it says, never repay. And then in verse 19, he says, never take revenge. And then in verse 19, God says, I will repay, I will take revenge. Vengeance is mine. The very two things that he forbids to us, he takes to himself. Vengeance is mine. I will do it. You can trust justice to me. I got this one. Right? That's not your job. We are not God. It's his business. It's under his authority. And the truth is, all sin, all evil, all wrongdoing will be punished. Every bit of it. There's not one iota, not one sinful word, not one sinful thought, not one sinful deed that will not be punished. It will. Some of it will happen through human government. I said in verses chapter 13, the next seven verses, or they describe the role of government in God's exercise of justice. It has its place, and we'll talk about that. But the Bible is also clear that whether human justice succeeds or fails, many of us have seen failures, even in the best justice system, in my humble opinion, in the world. We see it fail time and again. But the Bible is clear that whether human justice succeeds or fail, all of us will eventually face God's justice. Romans 2 says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. When God's justice, his righteous judgment will be revealed, the day when perfect justice will be meted out. It's one reason that we don't punish others is because we ourselves deserve wrath. Who am I to punish you? for doing what I do. To punish you with the punishment I deserve. I am a hell-deserving sinner. I can stand in judgment on no man, woman. Right, it's one reason, but God says justice is his and there is a day that's coming. I'll say it again, all evil, all sin will be punished. God promises justice, which my friends is a really terrifying thought for sinful people. We saw in Romans chapter 3 where it tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the righteous standards of God. And that he says the wages of that sin is death and that we're storing up wrath for that day. And it is a terrifying thought. The idea that actually the universe that God has created is perfectly just. Because God is perfectly just. And all sin that falls short of his standard will face accounting. But God has given the world two options. 
We can face his wrath alone on the day that it is revealed. And the wages of sin is God's justice and punishment, it's death, spiritual and eternal. We can face his wrath alone when it's revealed on the day of judgment, or we can throw ourselves on the mercy of a Savior. That he has provided one who in the course of history came, God incarnate to bear in his own body on the cross the full wrath of God against sin. And that when a person puts their faith and trust in Christ, the full burden of that justice is fully satisfied in the person of Christ. The debt is paid. I love the hymn that says justice looks on the cross and what Christ has done and to the one who's put their faith and trust in him, justice looks and smiles and says no more. We can pay that debt. You can stay outside of Christ and face that justice on your own on that day. Or you can claim Christ through faith, put your trust and your faith in him as one who bore the wrath in your place. If you've never put your trust and your faith in this wrath-bearing Savior so that justice will look on you and smile and ask no more, put your trust in Christ. Justice belongs to God. He forbids, what he forbids here is personal retaliation. And he differentiates this both from his own justice and from proper government authority. There is a proper authority that God has established on earth to pursue justice. So the authority to punish doesn't belong to you and I as individuals. He has fears of authority. There's authority in the family with parents over children. There's authority in the church of elders who exercise discipline in the life of the church according to what is laid down in God's word. And there's authority in the government to also exercise authority to make laws to punish evil and to reward what is good. The spheres of authority that God has established. And so it's not our lane as individuals to punish. First Peter 4.19 says, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to their faithful Creator while continuing to do good. Trust Him in the face of injustice, in the face of pain and hurt and anger and whatever it is that comes, he says, entrust yourself to your faithful creator who is just and continue to do what is right. The God thing, the right thing, the grace thing. And so what are we to do in the midst of it all, he says? If I'm not to repay and if I'm not to take vengeance, well, in verse 20 he tells you, to the contrary, the contrary, not only don't take revenge, To the contrary, right? Opposite of that. What is your job? Your job is absolutely the opposite of being the vengeance giver. You are to love your enemy, to do good to him. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You know, to to be light in darkness. Miroslav Wolf says Christ's followers must love their enemies no less than they love themselves. Love doesn't mean agreement or approval, but it does mean benevolence and beneficence, kindness and charity. 
Which leads us to this enigmatic statement in Romans, the last part there of Romans 19, uh, 12, 19, where it talks about heaping burning coals on the heads of our enemies. Now, you can take that as a bad thing or a good thing. And there, there are both in there. I actually lean toward it's a good thing. So what does it mean to heap coals? Well, it's an enigmatic statement. They're, they're, it's not really clear. Some have said, well, it's like raining down coals of fire and judgment, you know, and it's, it's fire and brimstone. That's what it is. And others have said, well, that, it really doesn't fit the passage, does it, where it says that we are to be like Jesus, who when he was reviled, prayed for his enemies and sought their conversion. Right? And so there are other images in terms of burning coals, you know, was also the thing that if you wanted to make a sword, you put that lump of metal into a, a furnace full of coals and it softened it so that you could shape it, change it, make it into a farm implement or an axe or a hammer or, you know, it's enigmatic. I don't know. You can go with the coal, fire, and brimstone if you want to. I lean toward it's a chance to bring change to this other person. I think it's in the vein of 1 Peter 3.1 when they, wives, not in, in a situation where the husband is not physically, emotionally, sexually, or otherwise abusive, but they live with a husband who's not abusive, and so a Christian woman is called, they should live with their husbands that their husbands may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. I think that's the heart of this section, that these folks who have come against us, who are, who are not where we are, that, that they would be one, sometimes without a word, sometimes with a word, but by our good deeds, it fits into the Matthew 5, that, that they would see our good deeds and glorify their Father who is in heaven. That's our desire. Our desire is their repentance, and that they would see God, that they would see another kingdom. Let me leave with that sentence in chapter, the last verse of the chapter. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What a beautiful picture. That evil overcome with good. Where light outshines the darkness. Where goodness, right, wins, right? Where love, goodness, and grace are stronger than evil and hate. Wouldn't that be great in your soul and mine? That light and goodness are stronger than hate and evil? And that it, in that sense, saves us, right? It, what he's giving here is an impossible call to, to his own people to never respond sinfully. It's what you want if you're a Christian. It's what I want it's our heart's desire never to respond sinfully, but always to overflow with goodness. To respond to evil with goodness. Where goodness wins, evil is overcome by not participating in it. When you and I feel wronged and we respond with evil, evil has won. And whatever good was in us, and at least in that moment, it overcame. And we, in that sense, have served it. Romans 6, we'll go back to Romans 6, hear this quote with this in mind. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone or anything evil as obedient slaves, and you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin, evil, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to 
righteousness. But thanks be to God, you are the church of the firstborn. Thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves to sin, have become obedient. You've been transferred into the kingdom of light and from the heart to a standard of teaching right here, right now, which to which you are committed because you've been set free from sin and you've become a slave of righteousness. And when we serve sin, we are a slave to the one that we obey. We want to be slaves of righteousness in Christ. He's, He's addressing, this whole thing addresses this deeper issue of our own hearts. See, in our marriages and at work and at school, it's easy to blame other people for the garbage that comes out of us. I respond poorly, and what do I say? You made me mad, right? Well, if you didn't do that, I wouldn't have had to do this. Well, if you weren't like that, I wouldn't have to yell, would I? You've heard these things. We say these things. The The heart justifying itself. But we need to never be confused about this. When we face sin in other people, what comes out of us is our own hearts, our own evil and our own sin to be as much repented of, which is why we don't repay. See, who we are must be determined, not by the attitudes and actions of others, but by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Christ, who is our life. Do you see that all of our sin was laid upon Christ on the cross? All of your sin, you can imagine it now as a bundle Right as a, as a weight, and it was laid upon Christ. And it died there. It ended there. It stopped there. It died with Him. Do you see that that's what He is saying? That when sin comes against you, by the grace and the power of the indwelling Christ, He says, let it die with you. Whatever sin is laid upon you by others, There let it die. I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and He gave Himself for me. The cycle of sin must be broken. Let it be broken with you. Let it die with you. Let it end with you. See, this is not only the example of this life of grace, He is the source of it. As we abide in Him, and the life of Christ flows in us, we bear much fruit of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. Verse 14, do not curse. Verse 17, do not repay evil with evil. Verse 19, do not take revenge. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but rather end the cycle of evil. Let it die with you. Rather bless, live at peace, love your enemies, overcome this evil with goodness. May that which comes out of us be determined not by the evil around us, but by the Christ who is in us. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. Oh, may it be true for us. Will you set us free from ourselves that we may not be slaves of sin and the evil that so easily besets us, but may we be citizens of your kingdom, children of the light. May we so know you and love you and walk with you and abide in you and spend time with you. Flowing from us would be streams of grace. 
Have mercy on your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.